Hello and welcome to The Wasted Years, the podcast where touring musicians tell stories about life on the road. This is your host, Aaron Seamer. I've been a musician for over 20 years, and I've slept in strangers' hotel rooms, disgusting couches, the front seats of vans, and roadside ditches. I've been robbed, cheated, stiffed, and flashed, and usually for very little money. And if you're a touring musician, I bet you know what I'm talking about. This is The Wasted Years. Yes, I got a little red rooster. Too late to grow a day. Whoa, I got a little red rooster. Hey everybody, you're listening to The Wasted Years, and this is Aaron. We're back after a uh, several-month hiatus, and you are listening to the sounds of Little Red Rooster, performed by T-Model Ford with backing band Gravel Road. Um, I wanted to say a little something about this episode before we get into the interview, um, because T-Model Ford passed away just recently on July 16th. When we recorded this episode, T-Model Ford was still living. We actually recorded the episode on July 15th. Gravel Road is a, is a Seattle band that specializes in a, a style of music called the North Mississippi Hill Country Blues. It's a style of music that I've been into for many years, uh, especially the label Fat Possum Records. And I really wanted to talk with Gravel Road initially because I found out that they had been acting as the backing band for T-Model Ford for uh, the last few years before T got a little too ill to continue touring. And then also through that got into Gravel Road's music, uh, their own music that is separate from the music they do with T-Model Ford. Um, So I was really excited about talking to these guys. We met up and we recorded the interview July 15th. The next morning got the news that T-Model Ford had passed away on July 16th. As such, I felt it was appropriate to also make this uh, episode kind of a tribute to T-Model Ford, uh, being that he passed so recently after we recorded it. So some of the music you'll hear in this episode will be the music of Gravel Road, and some will be the music of T-Model Ford with Gravel Road as his backing band. And I also think just just by talking with these guys about their experience touring with T-Model Ford, you could really tell how much reverence they had for the man and his music and how much they really loved and appreciated him, and I think that comes through very clearly in this episode. Uh, And with that, sit back and enjoy Gravel Road, a tribute to T-Model Ford. This is Aaron from The Wasted Years. I'm here with Gravel Road, and uh, we are in the basement of the Knickknack 
Records headquarters, and I'm here with Kirby, Marty, and Stefan. <laughs> and uh, Joe, label owner, is also here. Say and, hi, uh, Joe. Hey! Joe says he's going to be opening beers and packing bowls Yay. for us. <laughs> now that it's legal. <laughs> so, yeah, first I just wanted to talk a little bit about the history of the band. Um, talk a little bit about how you got involved with T-Model Ford as well, and that should probably launch us into some stories. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Marty and I lived in a house uh, in the late 90s, and just the house was full of people trying to learn to play music. And uh, We got a hold of some Fat Possum recordings. I think this is the gateway drug, or gateway album, is uh, Ass Pocket of Whiskey by R.L. Yeah. Talk to more uh, <laughs> musicians who have, that was the one that sparked I was him. way into that album when it came out. Oh, yeah. It was great. <laughs> Yeah, and and we just started listening to this music. It was just incredible listening to um, R.L. Jr. T. Model, mm-hmm. um, and then digging back through history and listening to who influenced them and and, and so on. Yeah, and that's it. so this is the early days of Fat Possum Records that we're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah, kind of years into their first uh, their first work and recording. You know, you know, taking artists that have been marginalized and, and minimized in, in Mississippi and given them a, a setting and it was mutually beneficial yeah totally you know it's good for the record label for these younger white gentlemen to get the record label going and then mm-hmm. uh, for the musicians which were pretty much all african-american blues musicians from mississippi mm-hmm. uh to to get better exposure mm-hmm. the musicians were willing to work and they were used to working you know they all had worked that's i think one of the things about the music that resonates for a lot of people is we you can relate to it you know, there's popular music out there that's popular because it has a certain sound to the ear, and then there's music that's popular because it hits you in a kind of a little more soulful place. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and what you do in, day in and day out, and, and the work and the work ethic uh, uh, have something to do with it. So, yeah, music hit us, and we wanted to learn it. And I know, like, for you, Stefan, there was the whole thing about the open tunings, because you had been playing guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, Kirby and Stefan played guitar for a long time, and they've been playing together for almost a decade. And to play music in, in open tunings, it's a specific style of music that, again, has it's, it's deep sounds, it's, 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 it's low, uh, a lot of bass, um, and also a lot of pretty simple instrumentation, because a lot of the makeups were, you know, solo artists, two-piece, three-piece, uh, uh, it, it was challenging, and it was inviting to, to uh, at the same time, and, and and accessible. Like that's like again, all these musicians were out on the road. You, we would we were talking to them. You could see them in bars. Yeah, you stuff. saw yeah. you saw them in clubs, and and, yeah. and we got into it. I mean, that's the whole thing. Was there's, you know, if you're around it enough, you'll play it, and if you're around people that want to play it, you'll keep playing it. Again, this specific style of North Mississippi Hill Country Blues, which really relates back to West African the simplest of the of, of the afro beats mm-hmm. and and the call and response music that's been going on in fields and churches and mm-hmm. places again hundreds for, of years. for hundreds yeah. of years and it's like the original drone yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. music yeah. it's transcultural it, mm-hmm. it it continues to this day and it has so much history so there's something there's something that's instinctual and when you meet other people that want to make that music you make it and Again, there's not a huge audience for it. We've been doing this for a while. The joke is, when we started, we made songs that three people liked, and it was the three of us. <laughs> you know, and like, well, it's like, well, let's just keep doing it then, because yeah. we're digging it. And so we were. The initial work was, 
you know, from just being kind of loose for a couple of years to, to getting tighter was probably in 02 or 03. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we played our first show together as the three-piece in, in 03. Yeah. In La Grande, Oregon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, oh, really? Before that, it was just Marty and myself just trying to figure this yeah. out. And, and then we found you. Yeah. <laughs> Kirby. Yeah, well, I, the way I remember it, it was you guys and two other people. Three guitars and a, and a drummer. And... Uh, I guess they thought they needed another instrument besides a guitar. <laughs> and so they asked me to play bass, um, which I had never played. They had an extra bass and an extra bass amp, and I started tinkering on that. And uh, that's they introduced me to the North Mississippi Hill Country sound. Mm -hmm. And it just immediately resonated for me. In, in retrospect, it was instantaneous for me that um, this music sounds great. I remember we had one song where I played one note the whole way through on bass. Sure. And I loved every second of it. And it was probably matching like the drone note on the guitar. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and it was a low tuning. It was lower than open G. And it was just, just beautiful. And it took him a long time to get there too because he was doing two notes. <laughs> I know. For a long time. Yeah. And we kept telling him don't yeah. do that one. Yeah. And I remember being on the drive actually over to the show. <laughs> and, 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 and he's like he's like we play that one song and let's talk about it. I'm like, sure, man, let's do it. And so he's talking, and we're, we're driving, and this is, he, you know, he keeps like, this is the one where I can't, I can't figure it out. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm switching to this other note. And I'm like, well, that's the problem right there. I mean, what do you, we, just one note the whole way. And then he you know, there, there's some, there's oh, actually some there. real truth to that in that, uh, the, you know, the, the depth of the, uh, of, the uh, of the meaning of it, of the hitting you deeply, it doesn't matter. Uh, you don't need to play two notes. You, mm -hmm. you just need to hit the feeling of mm -hmm. it. And, and that really uh, uh, was a turning point for me. And so <laughs> we, we played, um, yeah, we played that Grand Oregon show. And, uh, you know, Welcome I never thought it would be 10 years later and I'd be sitting here talking about us still playing together. I didn't now I play guitar and bass in different different ways. But it's, it, to me, it's it's still hits me the way that it did 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. You have four albums? Yep. We do. Okay. Just released our fourth one. And the last two have been on Nick Knack. So there were two albums prior to that, Gravel Road, our first album, and then Shot the Devil in 2008. Mm -hmm. And between 2008 and 2012, we did some work with T. So we actually started playing with T in uh, 2008. Yeah, let's hear about how did you go from uh, making music that only three people liked to getting hooked up with T-Model and Finding all of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't like it either. So T-Model Ford was born probably around 1920 or 21. He has a half-sister in Jackson, Tennessee, who's pretty damn sharp. And she's uh, she believes he was born around the summer solstice of 1921. There's no official documentation. But yeah, he, he doesn't know, right? <laughs> outside, outside of the, the sprawling town of Forest, Mississippi. Sure, you're familiar with Forrest, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, no yeah. proper no proper documentation for an African American male in 1920 or 21. Yeah, uh, in Mississippi, and he didn't play music growing up. He had a hard life, and there's a lot of stories out there about how hard his life it is, and some of them are definitely true. I mean, mm -hmm. One really tangible one is uh, he has one testicle. Yeah. <laughs> When he was nine years old, his father was upset with him 
and uh, took him and pulled him out back and grabbed a switch, you know. Uh, and he beat off one of T-Model's testicles when, they, when he was nine. Jesus. Yeah, and there's, yeah, there's a pretty interesting story. There's even a really good comic book done about T-Model's experience with his testicle beat off uh, uh, by his father. Uh, again, around the age of nine, somewhere there. So T had it hard. He didn't go to school. He, he's, he's illiterate. Mm -hmm. He, again, raised in Jim Crow era Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And um, he couldn't look at white women. You know, there was a lot of rules, a lot, a lot of limitations. Mm -hmm. So he learned a tough way of living from the very beginning. That's what he knew. Mm -hmm. And then he worked all his life, scraped by, probably made the best of his life that he could. Didn't make music, though, till famously his third wife left him. And one of her parting gifts was an amplifier and a guitar. Mm -hmm. Told him to learn it. And when she dumped him, he had all this time, so he supposedly learned how to play. And he has great exaggerations about, like, you know, it's the third time I play guitar, it, it sounds like it does now. Yeah. Or the first time. <laughs> or the first time, for that matter. Does that mean out of I've heard him say the third time <laughs> is when it really kicked in. Uh, I've heard both. And um, We've heard... So, but the, regardless, he was not a young man. When he, mm -hmm. when, he, when he picked up the guitar. Mm -hmm. He says it's somewhere in his 50s. He doesn't count very well. I'm going to trust he's probably pretty much right on. Uh -huh. So he's probably played guitar for 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. And he was playing in the backwoods of Mississippi, and he's living in Greenville, Mississippi, which is, I'll use the term of a, of a specific Mississippian who called it broke dick. As, mm -hmm. as Mississippi, you know, Greenville's the, Mississippi's broke dick, and, and Greenville is the brokest of the broke dick. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just a down and out town. It hasn't had its day in 100 years. And he loves it there. So he lives there, and he's been making music there. Fat Possum signed him in the late 90s. He had some success, him and a drummer. Then things kind of got quiet for him around 2004, five, maybe six. No, five, four or five. I, I think five was the last year he was touring. Yeah. And um, he did like three or four albums on He Fat did Possum. about six. Six? Okay. Maybe five or six. Five or six. Yeah. T showed he had something. He had something musically, Whoa. and he also had a lot of charisma. He's a lot of charisma. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a ladies' man. Mm -hmm. And so he's, <laughs> yes, he's he a pretty easy draw. <laughs> so, yeah, again, we met him after shows in the Northwest, and we saw him in a variety of places up and down the West Coast. Uh, Good times. Yeah. So you guys met him kind of right just by going yeah, to shows but and talking he's, with him? It, yeah, we didn't yeah. really, really know. Again, the music is pretty accessible, so where is it? It's in Mississippi. And I started going down there a fair amount, starting in 2001. But I got so comfortable that part of 05, I lived down there. What brought you to do that? Just to the draw to the music? You would just yeah, go down there the and music. hang yeah. out for a while yeah. and, and go to and see so people play? In 01, okay. I, I got, to, got to get to know uh, uh, David Kimbrough, David Kimbrough Malone, which is which is Junior Kimbrough's namesake, his eldest son, uh -huh. and uh, immediate great connection. Spent a couple days with him, and um, got to meet a lot of the Kimbroughs and the Burnsides. Uh -huh. And again, it just felt so accessible. So it's like, all right, let's hunker down and do some music down there. You know, uh, um, kind of do essentially woodshedding, but do it there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and the Burnsides. You know, Cedric Burnside was an incredible host. Welcomed me in, played music with him a lot. Dwayne Burnside, Gary Burnside, 
uh, uh, we were talking just earlier about Robert Kimbrough, meeting other people, like people who are doing the music. So like by, by just hanging out with these people, people are like, who is this with you? He's yeah, not yeah. one, he, you're not from around here, yeah, right? Totally. And so before people, you know, they start to know, okay, there's this thing going on up in Seattle and there's musicians up there making music that's influenced and, and they're interested. Again, everybody's accessible. Everybody's yeah. friendly and chatting. And so then with T-Model in 08, the opportunity came to do basically a one-off with them festival and it ended up becoming a small tour eight shows mm-hmm. and we're, we're at the five-year anniversary of that today we're at the five-year anniversary of the first show which was a couple shows it was a warm-up show shows with friends of ours in fort wayne indiana and again we didn't know I, it could have been one show it ended up being a tour it could have been just that tour and that could have been it and end up being a nice relationship that we had for like four years. Had you met T Model before that, or was yeah, it yeah, yeah. So I met T Model. I met T Model down there. Yeah, in '05, <laughs> I went down to Greenville and hung out with T in Greenville. And there's a, there's a great story. Is you roll into the to the Wall Street Blues Bar, which is like the only kind of still going on blues bar in Greenville. Again, not a glamorous thing. By the levee, by the casinos that are on the Mississippi River. Yeah, you know, it's right there. And there's even, there's like, you know, like a walk of fame uh, uh, out in front of T's pictures there. He loves to show mm-hmm. people. And I, so we walk <laughs> in and, and uh, um, you know, talk to the bartender. And the bartender's, you know, like, oh, yeah, T-Model was here last night. I'm like, oh, do we miss him? And, and, uh, and, and she's like, she's like, yeah, he was here last night. Hold on a second. She goes down, makes a phone call at the other end of the bar. People are chatting with us. You're not from around here, right? And they start asking questions. And, she comes back and she's like, he's coming down. <laughs> so he came down. He was, you know, half hour, 45 minutes later, he was down there, you know, and played music with him that night. There was a, there was a, there was a band. So it was like a Thursday night. There was a band that was supposed to play. They were pissed off. Cause like, cause he wouldn't get off stage. Cause right? he wouldn't get off stage. Cause he was supposed to play. And he's like getting up on stage. There's like, you know, back line there and That's everything. It. So it's great. So he's like, you know, one of his sons was there and you know, one of his son's buddies and they're like, you know, he's like, you know, bring up my guitar and plug me in and he's tuning up and it was fun. And so that's, and that, again, just to see how T is like, you want to play? Play. Yeah. You know? And that's a great attitude. How many people right. have a different attitude around music? And, yeah. And, and, and so, again, it just kept getting easier and easier. And so whenever the opportunity came up to, to take a risk by doing a tour, by you know crossing the country to go do a tour with a guy from Mississippi and see what happened, uh, uh, it worked out. And we did a bunch of them. Yeah, so you did it once and he liked it and then you yeah. kept going. Oh, yeah. I had he a liked- heart attack at the end of it. The yeah, first well, one? Yeah, we, we oh, actually not the van or anything. No, but, no. Yeah. After tour, we, wow. we ended the tour Two weeks later. recording "Ladies Man." Yeah, that just came out of nowhere as well. That was at the just end. a completely natural thing. And, oh, you um, just went into the studio at the end of the tour. Went into the studio. We, we just we were there um, in Wichita, Kansas. A really good studio in Wichita, Kansas. Yeah, really good studio with some really good friends of ours, and uh, it just was natural. We just wanted to capture it. That was it. Yeah, it turned into an album later, but probably a couple weeks after Two the tour. Weeks, yeah. Where he had, he had a heart attack, and you got the story. You talked about oh oh, this just is, this is a great little my, piece my, so, you know, T doesn't do well on the phone. He doesn't hear much, and uh-huh. he just he wants to talk for about three seconds on the phone. That's it. Everything's yeah. short short stretches. So his now wife, they were just living together. They've lived together for like twenty, 20 years, years, right? <laughs> and uh, he got married again for the sixth time or whatever. 
at 90. So uh, anyway, so she's like, she's like, T, Ma's on the phone. Talk to him. And, and, and T takes the phone. This is in the Greenville Hospital. Sorry, I'm yelling. Ma's on the phone. Talk to him. So T, T takes the phone. Again, I can't see him. I, don't, I have no idea what condition he's in. He's like, I'm ready. And I'm like, what? What, T? He's like, I'm ready. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. He's like seeing the lights and like, you know, <laughs> he's going up. He's going to the kinfolk and he's, I'm ready. And I'm like, ready for what, T? He's like, to go back out on the road. <laughs> and I'm like, T, how about you get out of the hospital first <laughs> on doctor's orders <laughs> and, uh, and then we'll get, a, we'll, we'll get a tour. And so we put together a tour. We, the whole thing was it had to be all within a day's drive of his place. Again, mm-hmm. just do a few shows to see if you could really do it. A short yeah, one. Yeah. You know, Who, nothing major, just a little southern thing. We yeah. spoke to people in our community and like, we asked. I think this is a, a smart thing to do because um, of the health and his age and talk to his doctor. Got permission there as well. And, yeah. You know, so set it up. Each show was a day away from Greenville. Nice. Uh, he knew work. And working kept him alive, and playing music yeah, it was seems one of the pieces. Why not, you know? Like, why yeah. not just yeah. go out and play if you can? <laughs> right, yeah. meet the people. Yeah. He just loved to be around people. Yeah. I, I, he would light up when he'd be in a venue with people, and he'd sit at the bar, and he'd say, you know who I is? And people, you know, look at him and go, uh-uh. <laughs> or some people say, you're team on four. I'm the blues. <laughs> I'm the blues. Yeah. You heard of the blues? That's me. Yeah. That's me. That's me. <laughs> and he would, uh, you know, that just kept him going. It, uh-huh. it definitely gave him something to live for. Just like everybody in this world needs something to live for. And uh, and, and that was his, that is his thing, is to, to yeah. make music, be around people. And, and it was... It never, never failed. You know, no matter how uh, down and out he seemed, or his health was, or is, he, you get him in front of people with a guitar, and he would just wake up, wake up, everybody. And that's what he would always Don't say. Nobody go to Don't sleep. Nobody go to sleep. <laughs> Because of our work schedules and all that, right? mm-hmm. to Europe. Um, yeah, we did, we did Europe. a month as a two-piece. Wow! In Europe, but all, all in all, probably <laughs> a good eight to ten times. Yeah, um, it was. Years. So we kind of had a doubt in where there was shows T could do 
I, I just had a conversation with somebody about this a, a few days ago, where they were asking, it's a musician in the know, and they're like, how many shows was T doing every year at the end there? And so I was actually kind of putting this together in my brain, because we, we would do little runs that, I, if I was to average it, I'd say there were like 10 show runs. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there was more, sometimes mm -hmm. there was less. These little 10 show things, you know, doing maybe six a year, and then him doing like little one-offs in Mississippi, with his grandson stud playing drums, which was really cool. Because mm. it's like, so, so we were his touring band, but he loved to play with his family. I mean, his grandson stud is really good. He's become amazing. Stud's like 15 years old, and stud is a really good drummer. And it was so, I mean, it was, again, talk about that, like, like driving you. Like, he wanted that connection with his family, and he really wanted that musical connection with his grandson. He loves his mm. grandson. And so to be able to play shows, so we'd help, we'd help with like making sure that that they had shows to play too, that they had the local festivals in Mississippi and even some other ones. So he was doing, you know, sixty shows a year, which if you think about that, at ninety, right? I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, that's sixty crazy. shows a year. That's in the last couple of years, I really slowed down. He definitely yeah. following the strokes and yeah. 2012 didn't see him doing anything, but like through 2011. Yep. It's really nice to see him get another bump in his career and doing what he loves to do. Just uh, being exposed mm -hmm. to new people, mm -hmm. people that never heard his music before. Yeah. And for people that did know his music to see him again at this stage mm -hmm. in his life. So his music was different. I don't think he'd ever played with a real band before. Well, that was the thing was he had played. Years. He had played with. Uh, 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 there had been a collection of musicians that were good in, right. in Greenville, but they. But People were afraid to go to Greenville. Like going to Greenville in like the '70s, like white people who were doing most of the making of albums were not going to go into Greenville. I mean, mm. through the '80s even. But anyway, there was really good musicians down there, but nobody was listening to. Them. They were mm. playing for a few bucks in Greenville bars. That was mm. it. And uh, so he played with a band, but he hadn't played with a band in years. Mm -hmm. He'd done the two-piece thing, you know, for all those Fat Possum records. Not a band of three white guys. No, and not a band of three <laughs> white guys. So that was, you know, part of the whole thing was. <laughs> you know, why just regurgitate Who everything old that had been done? I mean, there were some people that really wanted to see that, but there was also people that appreciated the fact that we were mixing and matching lineups. I mean, that was one of the things, especially towards the latter part, where it was fun. I mean, I, again, it was great doing shows with just T, or maybe, you know, you know, one of these guys could, could join, but we, we couldn't do the full thing. It was just, you know, we were working for T. That first uh, couple tours, uh, he didn't know my name. Yeah. Right. So he just said, "Hey, uh, you, yeah, hey, <laughs> the other guy. that other guy." So we had like this <laughs> running boy. joke amongst ourselves. Hey, other guy, right, right, come over here, you know. And, and and then you know he eventually learned our names. He, it, it wasn't that he didn't appreciate us, but he just couldn't remember our names. Yeah, right. And and, uh, and then when he did, he didn't pronounce them quite exactly. So, as so we, were. may I introduce the band? <laughs> yeah. Curly. Curly, <laughs> Marley, curly. and Stuffy. <laughs> Stuffy. Stuffy. <laughs> you know, he'd get it right, but, but those ones were really special to us. I always so. thought it was his accent, you know, and then the first time I played with him, I'd never played with him, so I, you know, I remember that first tour, you guys had come up from Greenville, bringing him up through Fort Wayne, and I met you guys in Chicago, and I had Too sat cool. with all the Fat Possum records, I knew I was going to play bass. And I picked up the bass and and had worked with all the records and learned right. all the songs. So I said, you know, T, hey, I 
I learned all the songs, so mm-hmm. are you okay if I play with you? And if you're not, that's that's totally fine. I was just didn't want to impose myself, and T B and T was just, oh no, come on up. Yeah. So I, I did, and of course she didn't play anything like any of the albums at all, and I followed it around the best I could, and uh, you know he played, and people were there to see him. You know that's what they they were there to see, and yeah, and uh, each and every show I learned to play, and it, it really affected the idea of playing music is and not you know re- you rehearse it and then you, whatever happens you adjust to and you adapt to and I got better and better and better in that we all did we all did yeah especially playing with him really affected he would just tack right tack left play too long or play a section longer than you'd think he would and then he'd shift another way yeah and following that you never know what's gonna happen never Never know what's gonna happen even at the end when we were really tight and good yeah yeah. The, the fact that we could hang with him through every turn yeah. at the end was really cool. There was, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna butcher this, but there's a, a guy who was really into T-Model who said something uh, uh, quite insightful once. He's like, I've been seeing T-Model for years, and every time I see him, he plays the same songs, but every time I see him, it's a different show. <laughs> and that's the truth, because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it sounded different all the time mm-hmm. and I mean the way he plays something from one tour to another mm-hmm. could one be tour, vastly one night, different right. one, one night he would play the same even in song the same two show. or three times yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and he and it just it's a mentality about music because I you know I, I'm product of the 80s and 90s and you know grunge and, and just you know how music quote should happen and right structures structure and bridge and chorus and all that and you know these guys helped me uh, really learn a whole different way of thinking about music and T just he would say well they they like that song let's play it again that's right and so (laughs) that whole idea of you only play the song once in the set uh, (laughs) just I hadn't he was right, you know. They liked that, so I couldn't. I couldn't argue with that. So I, I, we're not like about a fifth time. By a fifth time, that would be a bit much. But. Marty and I um, did a tour with T. Lincoln, Nebraska. No, no, what? no. It wasn't Lincoln. It was St. Louis. No, 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 no. Oh, well, there was St. Louis. It was the and St. Lincoln. Louis one. They St. both St. had Louis. the same element. Yeah. God, God, now I get them all mixed up. It was Lincoln. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we did Sally Mae for the fifth time. In, in like a seven song set thus far. No shit. And uh, at, the, at the end of, yeah, at the end we're of the We're like yelling song names out, trying to start them. And he look at you it like. Matter. You'd be one bar I, in and it would I, go I right even, back. I even start even other songs. I like just You'd start like, other yeah. songs. Nobody get me down a or, bar. or whatever. Yeah. And wow. he'd start, look, and then go right back and exactly. fucking sell me. It's a great song, but at the end of the fifth one, there's this silence, and Marty and I are just like just laughing, you know. At this point, and someone yells out, "Play Sally Mae!" <laughs> so he does. And so we do, but only half. And it was good. Yeah, half. but but then he cut it off. It's like, oh yeah, yeah that's no. a good version. That's right. That's right. You leave him wanting a little. You know, more. Uh, to this day, I, I mean, I have my yeah. theories, but I think he, I, I think it. My theory is he forgot what his other songs they just blanked you know? yeah, and then that's what he would go back to right. and it just kind of that's what I, well, thing I, like, like the the, 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 the night think. that was crystal clear to me was in Paris France and, and again I, I did a tour with T it was just the two of us because 
for financial reasons. And the show in Paris and T was tired. You know, it's it's not a club show. It's a theater show, but mm-hmm. it's like his set. And, and that was a show with uh, uh, what's John Spencer's new band? Heavy Trash, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Heavy Trash was the headliner. Mm-hmm. So we weren't even in the, the last slot. And it was great because we were invited to play, you know, like a hour set or less, 50 minutes, something like that. I'm like, that sounds great, which is tough for T. And it ended up being six songs. And the first three songs were all Hip Shaken Woman. And he did them. <laughs> which is still my favorite and song. I think, it's right. Really great, so. And I think he was, I think it was like the repetition, it went really well the first time, right? And uh, uh, he liked it, and he was tired, so his hands just kind of went back to it. Yep, yep. And then the third time, I think he was really trying to veer away from it, and so, like, but it didn't work. And so he get, told a story, and then worked into another song, which was great. And then came back to Hip Shake yeah, Woman. Yeah. And then I'm yelling song names because we had one. Because that's the other thing was he played Hip Shake Woman for like 12 to 15 minutes sometimes. <laughs> so we did a six song set. And we did Hip Shake Woman four times. Four, yeah, four times. Not even three. Times, four times. So it was pretty. <laughs> we have that list of all his songs, and we carried that with us for four years. Yeah. And he every, played every one of, of them at least of once over the four years. Yeah. Almost yeah. like some of them he would never. He, like you'd ask him for this B side track or whatever you'd want to call it and he wouldn't he'd just start left, tuning right, and playing right. like fingering we get that and, and then he'd go right back into like hip shaking woman or Sally mm-hmm. with the mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah our buddy Paul Hutzler came on a tour and he actually got T playing two songs he hadn't been playing but to the left or the right was the big one but he couldn't he couldn't remember it he did it once came out you know Mm-hmm. I have like a feeling. That. I mean, I was obviously I wasn't there when those were some of the songs that were recorded for the Fat Possum recordings. Those were just moments that were yeah. captured. That yeah. were just beautiful moments. I'm insane. They, they got. I'm insane. Almost yeah. every show. He played it a couple of times. He I tried. Mean, to, there was yeah. yeah. It Once always became hip chicken one. <laughs> they just captured them and then kind of edited a beginning and end point and called yeah, it a song or something. Kinda. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Right. Yeah. Or just again raw, just like it's just being recorded. Yeah, and I think a lot of those fat in, improvised were like that. Yeah, had moments like that. Yeah, totally. make up a song. We need right. one more song. We need three more minutes. Or yeah. R- RL would do a sort of a rap story over right. Tojo Man Hitler or something along those lines. Yeah, ass pocket whiskey. That's a yeah, good story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm a chicken head man. I love chicken head. Hey, hey, I'm a chicken head man. I tell my woman how to clear up. Chicken head man I love my woman Out of clay I'll do Hey, hey I'm a chicken head man Thank you. 
we would travel with T, the way we worked it was, you know, he's he has to have a bed. He has to have a place, sure, a yeah. roof over his head, a bed. We didn't he can't in. crash in the van. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, at the same time. Can't crash with can. the buds. Yeah. No. no, so we, we <laughs> would, and, and typically, you know, we, a lot of places we went, we didn't know a lot of people, or they didn't have, they had couches. So we, in the end, we ended up either in a hotel or some sort of situation like that. I remember in Paso Robles, <laughs> um, uh, we we had to, you know, we T fell asleep early, and uh, we spent the night. Uh, we I think someone had some Vicodin. There was some Vicodin involved. Yeah, and we were organizing, organizing merch. A merch. And uh, and it was uh, it was the most fun I ever had organizing the merch. On a Monday night off, man. I think we left one of T's sweaters there. Yeah, the Cosby sweater. And and T was you know T would he would some nights he would stay up some nights we we would wake up early because we'd have to drive six or seven hours. We play a show. We'd be the last. You know, he'd be the last show uh, or last um, on the bill, mm-hmm. and we'd get home at two or three in the morning. Home, mm-hmm. you know, the hotel. Mm-hmm. He'd go to sleep and wake up again at five and do it, or six and seven and do it again. And I can't do that. Yeah, Jimmy, I'm more, <laughs> more than half his age. And and so, uh, but then every about third or fourth night, it would catch up to him, mm-hmm. and he would go to bed about seven thirty or eight. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> And that was one of those nights in Paso Robles where he went to bed at 7.30 or 8. Right. And we just spread out all the merch and and, and got a little nutty that way. Um, and and uh, <laughs> I guess it seemed nutty to me. Cause we, That's because of the Vicodin. Because of the Vicodin. <laughs> you can edit that story out. I told you don't ask him any questions, man. This is, it was a fun night. It was a fun night. I wonder who found that sweater. I wonder if it's still there. Well, his wife would pack, you know, his his bag. He had one bag, like a small duffel bag, mm-hmm. just just filled to the brim with clothes. And T would wear the same thing pretty much every day. <laughs> so in the end, it would be, you know, this whole bag full of stuff, and he only needed like one tenth of what was in there. Yeah. And so. But uh, if you're adding stuff, forget it. <laughs> yeah, he would get toys for the kids, Stud and all of his grandkids uh-huh. and stuff. And so with T traveling luggage. was unpredictable in the sense that here we are traveling with a man who's about 90 years old and you didn't know what you were going to get into i mean traveling with a 90 year old man period i mean you could be traveling around town right anything could happen right and we're 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 crossing state lines some some, (laughs) sometimes country lines and so a a lot of what was really interesting was just surviving from place to place the in-between times so like getting out of the van in some town where you're not playing, right? And you're getting a bite to eat and just seeing us rolling out. Like imagine like a warm summer day. Like look, look, look at what Stefan's wearing. He's like wearing Nothing. shorts. You're seeing like his tats <laughs> and like this black van rolls up and like a three of us, maybe somebody else from the road rolls out. Road weary and tea. This and then a nine year old man. Right. right. Kind of hunched over with a cane, smiling at everybody, well, going, hey. We, uh, the van has a <laughs> has a, a hydraulic lift. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he would stand on the lift, and then we. Oh, So it was kind of like this. Had to get he like had this, like, yeah. you know, stage. And, and then he'd like walk out on the stage, and then we'd lower the lift, and it was like this. It was this epic. Uh, in a certain way, this kind of a kind of scene, like he would, right. he would. Well, when we play but, Ride of the Valkyries, rolling out of the van, <laughs> that, that kind but, of helped that. 
you know, it's happening. It's happening at like twelve thirty in the afternoon on a Thursday in yeah. Waco, and you're not playing Waco, right? Yeah. Right. You're driving down to Austin, and 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 you're stopping in Waco to go to not Old Country. Is it Old Country Buffet? No, what's was Cracker Barrel. Cracker, cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel. <laughs> cracker barrel. Cracker barrel. Oh. And we we roll the Cracker Barrels, and team be like, "Place is hard. Oh, I ain't here before. <laughs> we all look the same. Yeah. Yep." That's why we're going back, T. Oh, I knew her. Right. I know her. <laughs> no. She geez. was at the show last night. We're 500 miles away from the show last night, right? <laughs> she was at the show last night. I think she was, T. You think she's following us? I noticed a black Mustang behind us most of the way. I wonder. She might be checking you out. Anyway, so we'd stop, and yeah, in Waco, he'd be chatting people up or wherever, you know. Can, can yeah. you know, can you, uh, you coming to the show tonight? Where's the show? Austin. <laughs> <laughs> he could never understand why people at lunch would never go out to the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it would also, be, I'm sure it seems strange because we were all so very accommodating and helpful to him. And th- there would always be one or two of us just kind of at his side making With sure. Yeah. yeah. And he had his cane. But you never know. Some, some days he had a harder time walking and just navigating uh-huh. normal things. Uh-huh. Uh, going into a restaurant and into a chair. And, um, so that that that, had, that that got people noticing. Yeah. So sometimes. people, yeah, people be looking, you know, and just yeah. it made for great people watching. I mean, we had some of the best spots in the house to watch how people would react to this bizarre scene in front yeah. of them. So there was a lot of stuff like that, and, and it would elicit. I mean, there'd be crowds where there'd be interesting things. Like there's this. I remember a show. It was in New Haven, Connecticut. They have a great venue called Cafe Nine. Was this the head wedding? Yeah. And so uh, this guy, this guy's there early, and he's into T, and he's like, wants to chat with us, and he's like, hey, can you guys talk to T-Model for me? We're thinking this, you know, T-Model's the most accessible person you can just go (laughs) talk to. He's sitting right there. Like, like, you know. This guy's sweating, too. He's sweating, he's he's like all nervous, and he's like, doesn't want to approach T. (laughs) So at first, we're like trying to tell him, just go, and we're like, yeah, you probably shouldn't go up to him. Yeah. Yeah, unless you're presenting with a lady. So we should start making it more challenging. This guy, who knows what went, what went on. I think he was drinking quite a bit. Yeah. And at the, yeah, he's getting into the set. It was probably, what, about 30 minutes in? It was a really small place, too. It was tightly packed. Yeah, kind of all kind of Vs towards the yeah. stage, you know. It's almost like Tiny shotgun style, long, you know, long and narrow. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. And this guy, who is so meek and mild and scared, starts drinking whiskey and hearing T-Model's music and starts just going ballistic and starts, mm-hmm. like, headbutting people in the front of the crowd. <laughs> and, like... We didn't stop playing, though. We didn't though. stop. No, you learn it that the, way. The three of us stop. were just, we, we, or, Yeah, we were just looking right. at each other like, keep going. I love that one of our first, you know, like, 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 like the first blank, the first fight at a T-Model show was in uh, 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 Oklahoma City, and it was a lesbian fight. With at chairs. a very with chairs at a very non-lesbian bar. Oh yeah, it was great. like a frat bar. It was, it, well, it was a mixed place. place. It was like frat on one side and then us right. on the other. <laughs> and they, uh, at least one lesbian couple. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, you learn just to keep keep playing. Yeah, yeah. Gunshots outside of one show. You know, we got to play again. Again, we got to play places that were down home. We got to, uh, and that exposed us so that we could go and play 
down-home places. I mean, that's what we wanted. Uh, uh, the experience of playing with tea was not financially beneficial for us. It was a learning experience, and mm -hmm. so we. But we also we met so many people, mm -hmm. and so you know, going back to places like Austin and Tucson, and you know, again up and down the West Coast and the South and the Midwest, you know, Minnesota, Indiana. There's there's so many places where where we had people that we could go see and spend time with. So it's really, I mean. It really, we learned a lot, and we, we really got to meet a lot of the people that we wanted to meet. I mean, it's, it's interesting the way that, you know, the life's connections are. And, uh, yeah, the people in the music, they'd show up at a T-Model Ford show sooner or later. Mm -hmm. So we played, you know, with all these clubs and very small community of people, but there was one show where uh, it was kind of a big thing, uh, all tomorrow's parties, mm -hmm. and Jim Jarmusch had chosen tea as he had curated a stage at all tomorrow's I, yeah i saw i read that i think on your website or something but yeah yeah so it was kind of out Jarmish of the blue. is awesome yeah. oh he's one of my favorite directors he has it's excellent taste so in music good. yeah always as well yeah. oh my goodness he curated all this doom drone metal he's way into doom and drone yeah. and then team on well his brother had it. seen us his yeah. brother had seen us <laughs> at cleveland. In cleveland cleveland oh okay right at a show at a bar show the year before <laughs> At, at, at he's from Cleveland, Cleveland, isn't he? I've, yeah. I think yeah. He is, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, again, it's weird how certain shows, that show created so many weird opportunities for us that splintered off. That's a whole other show. New Mexico as well. Yeah, New Mexico. Yeah, oh, right. John Henderson. Right. Anyway, so there's, uh, uh, yeah, there was great stuff until his brother showed up. Weird. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he kind of looked like it. Jim Jarmusch, so you could believe it that he right. was yeah. actually Jim Jarmusch's <laughs> brother. And it's a great, <laughs> great invite. But he just totally. He owned that. What was it? A resort, or what was it called? It, it was it an was old a, resort. It was like the Catskills, you it, know. It was, it was called oh, Chris, like Krishner's. Dirty Dancing meets The Shining, kind of. Probably the best description. It is faded, old. Probably at one time a, a really very nice resort. Yeah. The Catskills, and uh, it was a trippy ass place. So the does the the curator choose the place where all tomorrow's parties is yeah. going to happen to? No. They pick the place. The, the, the curator, curator has one day to, oh, to okay. artistic to control. Of a, to artistic control. Yeah, yeah. Out of Probably a three day, three out of a three day two uh, stage yeah. venue, they get one stage for one day. Yeah, but one of the long days. Yeah. Some amazing yeah. performances that that weekend. What, what a great Iggy Pop, the, the Stooges, the so. mud, mud Honey. Rizza. The Rizza. Nice. Laid there. Actually, the Jizza. Was it? The Jizza. You're right. The Jizza. Oh. I know. Don't tell him I got confused. Do not tell him I got Yeah, they've worked with Jarmusch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Rizza worked. And you had San and Boris performing Alter for the first time. Wow. That was really Sleep Sleep got back together for that show. Oh, that was, yeah. That was the one. That was the big... They did all a dope smoker. The first sleep show, yeah. So this whole weekend, we arrive. It's fantastic. People recognize T-Mob. We never made it out of that front lobby for, you know, the majority of the first day. in the front lobby with a little tiny battery-powered amp. Yeah. And met people. And as people were getting in line to get their keys for their room, they would point at him and realize Everybody. who he was and they'd sit and listen with him and talk to him and it was just a amazing experience. I think it was on Rolling Stone, their webpage and, and it was um, highlighting the first day. It was so the Stooges, Mudhoney, 
um, and then T Model Ford, and the video is only of T Model Ford. <laughs> of him playing in the not the show, not in the lobby. Him playing in the lobby. We had him set up all over the place <laughs> in hallways. Uh, yeah, that throughout the weekend, it was yeah. fantastic. Because that was just him. Yeah. 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 So we're like, okay, here's the build up to this big show he's gonna do, and and people were just really enjoying it, and they'd sit in the hallway, and he'd have people playing and they come up to him afterwards and and then uh i saw our show was was it on a saturday Saturday sunday night sunday night Sunday night. a three-day weekend uh dunyan had just gotten done playing oh yeah they're awesome Um, then we were set to go on so we get set up black angels are on after us Mm -hmm. um this is a big deal so We don't, it's all backline gear. We're, we're set it's up. It's the Black Angels. It's the Black yeah. Angels. It's a big deal. Team Model Four is a big deal too, and and uh, the three of us are doing the sound check. We're checking all the the gear. We, we do a little um, sound check of Hip Shaken Woman. Probably half of it. We had a ritual for getting him set up. Yeah. Like get his guitar, tune it, but without him seeing you tune it, because if he sees you touch his guitar, then he'll then later blame you, you for getting it out of tune. <laughs> Even it's totally into it. As the story will unfold, <laughs> that becomes not the case. And quite the opposite. We, we, yeah, the sound check was great. You know, we're tight and everything, so we're ready. Uh, and all of a sudden, we get them up on stage. Things sound, look, they look good. Everyone looks comfortable. And the lights go down. And then all this, all this uh, fog machine starts rolling out. Oh, and no. you can't see, but like... The first two rows of people in front yeah, of like ten this people. Big maybe. hall. Uh-huh. I don't know how many people are in there, but enough that you can't really see beyond the first two rows. And we start playing. I don't even remember what we started with or how long it took to uh, just not sound so good. <laughs> well, well, I, I remember. I remember just before the first song, we were ready to start, and we had him in tune, and we were in tune, and everything. We just done the sound check. I hear the. <laughs> He's turning his he's, tuning keys and, and deciding the to de- Well, yes. <laughs> we were all perfect. <laughs> and, you know, we've been through that enough that we, we were, you know, we knew that that could happen. And right. knew kind of how to try different angles to say, you know, work with him to, to say, hey, T, you know, that sounds good. Hey, what are you doing? Do you need help with that? And, yeah, <laughs> you know, but it got it was, it was one of those nights where the more you'd ask him if he wanted any help or anything, the more he got ornery about uh-huh. it, the more he was not wanting to accept the help. Uh-huh. And uh, at one point, he said, There's something wrong with the battery, I, I need a new battery in my guitar. And he was looking at me, and there's <laughs> like, This is the show, and they're recording it, and there's you can actually you know, hear h- it hundreds online. of people there, and, <laughs> oh my God. And, 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 and people are yelling at me. Get him a fucking battery, man. And like, there's I no battery think, in the like, guitar. He doesn't have a battery in his guitar. How did you know? You weren't there. You you could help me. You were there. Uh, that would have been no a lot of trauma. Get him the battery, man. So That's I kind of oh. deteriorated from there. Can you get him the battery, man? Yeah. I, I was like 90% getting him a battery. Enough people, you? though, like they got it. They were there for that experience. Right. And, but right. us on stage, like, Dude, we can play these songs and make it sound good. Let's just do that, right? Yeah. And every every he, three or four times, come over here, tune my guitar. So I go over, get his guitar, tune it, perfect, right? Play it so people could hear. Yeah, this is in tune, and uh, give it back to him. He'd start fumbling with it, and what's the sound again? <laughs> every time, we didn't get through one song. 
Yeah. But we got through the set. And we look down the ramp up to the stage, and it's the Black Angels who are down at the bottom. And we're bringing our stuff up and get T off stage. And I I didn't know. I actually was just kind of like, get him off stage, get our shit off stage, and get, you know, get ready for the next band. And we're talking to these guys who... Alex was understanding. Yeah, and they're like, hey, guys, you did great. You know, we'll give them what you had and good job. And I'm thinking, who are these guys? You know, thank you. You know, how do you know? This was tough. And and it turns out it was the Black Angels. And they were relating their Rocky Erickson experience where they had played with Rocky Erickson. Oh, they played with Rocky. And how unpredictable he was and how they had to kind of go with the flow. (laughs) And really, there were a lot of similarities there. And got, yeah, yeah, help him guide the set and it was just kind of the perfect post-show situation where they were there and and they really could relate and kind of you know talk us through what what had just happened at at one point though during the set i i remember looking over over my right shoulder down that same ramp and there's jim jarmusch and (laughs) thurston Thurston moore watching and i thought well this is actually perfect because it's like It's like Thurston Moore doing it. Thurston Moore is probably like, right on. He's like, this is yeah. the best set of ever. We're all perfectly out of tune together. Yeah. yeah Stick a drumstick in that guitar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, the drum sounded good that day. Because <laughs> the guitar sounded like no. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys ever uh, seen the movie Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll, the documentary about Chuck Berry that, yes. yeah. that yeah. Uh, Keith, Keith Richards, Richards made? Because yeah. yeah. he gets into that with Chuck Berry. Very uh, similar. And, like, they would have to hide yeah. things from him and make it look like it was just his amp on stage, but yeah. there would be like other amps backstage oh, that yeah. they had mic'd and shit like that. We, we, we <laughs> yeah. didn't have the resources to be that elaborate, that but we talked elaborate. about stuff. Kind of like that. So, yeah. like, how do we tune him without him knowing that right. we're tuning him? And, 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 and we would how do we like, get Chuck Berry's amp That's a great idea. Like, yeah. Chuck Berry refuses to let us bring another amp on stage because he swears his amp sounds good, but right. it doesn't. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that is again with well, with T, it was it was he didn't understand that the sound could be different from the stage as it was in the room. Oh yeah, yeah. So right. we would. I mean, you have to negotiate. Oh. You you hope for sophisticated sound people too. You could be like, look. What, during let's we need a sound check, and if we get a sound check, just do everything he says possible so that the sound on the stage is the way he like it, and then just do whatever you want to the room, because that's I mean all he wants is to to hear because he did better in the small venues. Yeah, yeah he did. I mean, sure. The the the, the shows you play couple hundred shows with him and you start to find out what where, where, where the tendencies lie and, and and the idea that the bigger shows were the ones that were, were the roll of the dice they could work out they could work out yeah, just fine enough of them did yeah but I mm-hmm. think that's why I mentioned that the lights went down and the, the smoke comes out for the um, ATP thing just simply because the, the intimacy of playing in the front lobby or in a side hallway right. at that place yeah, his connection with, right. his connection awesome. with, was with people and them getting into yeah. it, and he just had such such a connection with the people he's playing to, and he couldn't see him. He yeah. could not see him at yeah. ATP. And I can understand that too. Like just being a, as a musician who mostly plays little clubs, right? You mm-hmm. get used to that sound, and then yeah. the f- the few times I've had the opportunity to be on a big stage with yeah. really nice monitors, 
um, it really throws you off because it's a whole. Oh yeah, I can it's hear a myself. Whole different That's way right. of thinking and, about and, playing. And, 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 yeah, you <laughs> step off the stage and like you know bump into the person right there. Yeah, T had magical thinking. I mean, he was a magical thinker, and part of that was just really beautiful and pure and sincere and innocent and part of it was just bizarre nonsensical stuff stuff that like we could we'd be like what the guy at the soundboard is not controlling what's coming through your amplifier like, yeah <laughs> it's not mic'd. Your amp's or not they mic'd. would or they would mess with the mic like the, and then they Columbia think City that, Theater. yeah Columbia City Theater the sound guy changed the angle of his mic because he's singing he this way and the mic's over here like inches away from his face yeah he was convinced that it had messed with his guitar sound and Oh yeah. By yeah. touching the mic, right. of the vocal mic, and, and vocal so it was you know, really it could <laughs> have, right? I mean, like that's the whole thing is like everything. One thing affects another, affects another. There's always a domino effect. But the reality of the severity of you know how he heard the the, the change or alteration was <laughs> over the top, and 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 so <laughs> yeah, there was just this again this magical thing. The bigger that, yeah. the bigger the venue, the more the magical thinking could be bizarre, unknown, unpredictable, and yeah, again, that, that idea that disconnection. He was disconnected from making the music. He's hearing different things totally differently yeah. than what he's used to. Yeah. 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 And, and you add that, um, that scenario with the venue and all that um, to being on the third night where he's really tired, and that's when things yeah. can go really go exactly. wrong. Yeah. Well, and and and, it, and this wasn't always the case, but it seemed like as a general rule, the nicer the amp, the backline amp, the more he. Didn't and he had like some it. really nice ones. He sure, he you know. liked the PV piece of shit amp yeah. that he used. <laughs> you know what's weird? I, I've seen a lot of those, a lot of those old Marshall. bluesmen, yeah. a lot of those yeah. old, uh, yeah, Mississippi Hill Country guys. Uh, playing through PVs and yeah. stuff, and I'm always yeah. like, "Why are they playing through that amp?" But it always sounds cool they somehow when they do it because, like, mm-hmm. and if I played through a PV, I don't nice. think I'd like it. But I see like those guys playing through, and I'm like, "That sounds it, cool. it, it, good." It's yeah. a Mississippi <laughs> yeah. company. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah it is. Oh, well, okay. And, and we, we've, co- sense, we've coined so. them the Mississippi Marshall because you know they have <laughs> that, that gainy sound. Yeah. I, my road amp is actually a PV. Um, I, I really wanted something with tubes, but I, I think he doesn't sound great. And I was like the shittiest off-brand guitars like you, the guitar has oh, some yeah. name on it I've never heard of before you know Evie Razor Evie guitar Black Nanny yeah. Black Nanny was you know that that's his signature guitar yet wouldn't it, wouldn't it be rad if in like 15 or 20 years those are like the the Telecasters yeah. and the Strats <laughs> and like people are spending outrageous amounts of money for oh, so weird PE guitars too. yeah yep. they could they could blow Only, up I think 400 of them made <laughs> right Right, 1984 and, or something. And he's, he's had he's like had six of them. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, now, right now he's got two. The original Black Nanny was stolen, but he's got a, a black, another black one. It's, yeah, he's traded great. it to somebody else. Though. And then he no, traded... That was, that, that was a whole... Yeah, that's he right. He a red one. He had traded... No. Red one. He's still, he's, cause he's still, still got red He nanny. still has red nanny. I talked to Stella about yeah. it uh, last week, and uh, red nanny is safe. Yeah. I, I, I actually asked her to um, make sure that family has the guitars. Yeah. You know, because they could really be taken advantage of. But yeah. it's like, make sure that someone in the family has those and learns to play them. Mm-hmm. I love the people, like, they wouldn't know what he's talking about. Get me a black nanny! <laughs> yeah, that, I would have said he wanted a black nanny. Right. Oh, get a black nanny! <laughs> Is he talking about uh, wet nurse or what? Yeah. I'm going to yes. go in the back team and get black nanny for you, okay? Sounds good! 
Yeah. Tune Black Nettie. Get it sounding real good. Tune Black Where Black Nettie? Get her up here. <laughs> Take her out of her case. <laughs> yeah. This album was Super Blues by um, with Muddy Waters, Bo Diddley, and Lil Walter. Uh-huh. And he loved that album so much. He'd sing along to every song. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, only but, T-Mon but he, but he did, I wrote that song. The, the artist I'd like to turn him on to was, was Hound Dog Taylor. He does That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. Hound Dog. How could you? Three How piece rock and Six fingers. It was that extra finger. Yeah. He would always like sit in the back of the van and look out the window, and he liked to look at the cars that would go by and he'd check out the girls in the cars and so he'd look he'd see a car go by and he'd see a girl and, he'd, and I'd be sitting next to him and he'd turn to the left and look at me and give me a look like did you see that wow yeah. that was a good looking girl car after car would go by and he'd do that and one, <laughs> at one point car went by and he didn't turn and look at me and then he very quickly turned and looked at me with a very different look on his face Eyes wide open, mouth tightly shut. Chinaman. It he just a, said Chinaman? He just said Chinaman. <laughs> and sure enough, there's, there's a, a person that probably was more of... It was, it was a more of a Thai person. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would explain it to him, but I could tell it wasn't going to... Why bother? Why bother? (laughs) Yeah, one time he elbowed me, pointed, pointed, Chinaman. I think the person was (laughs) (laughs) like obviously more of like a light skinned (laughs) Irishman. (laughs) Irishman. No, 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 no. But, But like a lighter skinned, you know, Pacific Islander. And, and uh-huh. I'm like, no, I don't think it's quite a Chinaman team. But we'll elbow you, too. Yeah. Oh, no. I was big into the elbow. <laughs> just to point out the race, yeah. the perceived yeah. race of or someone. Look race. Or look at that ass. Or look at that ass. <laughs> or both. <laughs> both. Look at that race in that ass. Or, yeah. <laughs> he, did, he does like a big ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Like, he would hold his hands up. And he kind of shake them together, and, and the wider apart they were, the more excited he would look. Like yeah. the widest ass he was. And you get, you, know, you get a lot of time on the road, so asking a question, just tearing up the miles, going. So T, 
what is it? What is it about a big woman that's so much better than a little woman? And he'd always say, a big woman, she got enough money to feed herself. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's a bluesman. Yeah. 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 Our whole thing is we're built to last. I mean, we're friends, and we've been playing music for a while, and we've done enough where we, a lot of the things that the bands, bands will succumb to, we probably can avoid yeah. the big ones. I care about that more making music now than yep. than almost anything else. Yes. Uh, as you know, as a, I'm in my mid thirties and priorities it's more clear important up to me. Distractions. Yeah. To make music with people I like. Yeah. Yeah. Making music with. Right. <laughs> yeah, which you find is harder and harder to do. Right. I like sure. Idea. Yeah. So I found these guys and yeah. it's hard. We're glad you did. So <laughs> hopefully when all is said and done, this album will fit nicely mm-hmm. within the bigger continuum of who we are, what we're doing, and what we will do. It's a moment in time, and it's a weird little moment mm-hmm. uh, 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 when we recorded that and putting it out. So I hope people like it. I think, that, I, think, I think there's a song or two or five that every person can like on the album, and I'm sure that there's one or two that everybody won't like. Like, like it'll be different for every person, and that's, that's mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Do you guys still play in a lot of open tunings and stuff on this album, though? Is it yeah. still it's so, like, even, if, all of it, even if it's tuning. not exactly North Mississippi Hill blues, it's yep. still rooted yep. in that uh, open tuning structure. Even the heavier yeah. stuff is like, yeah. open G. I haven't written far. a song in yeah. straight tuning in five years. I, I've I mean, been going back to that. <laughs> I, I think on the next one there's going to be two. <laughs> I think so. Um, one, a T-model yeah. song, a T-model type song. Um, and then something that's completely the opposite of it. Standard is kind of opened up in a nice way after not having played it for so many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than the T. Mm-hmm. But then again, he didn't really just play Standard, he played Open T. Open T. Open T, <laughs> which is very vastly different. Open T chord. Which is sort of, if you use it, if anyone out there uses an electric tuner, um, when it when it goes in when the needle goes in the middle, that's not open T. Actually, if you have an electric slightly tuner, step one on way, it, or step on it until it's not working anymore, and then <laughs> step on it. Break. You get him a new battery. <laughs> Take that battery that's from your guitar, I, you bastard. I learn from T. I always get a new battery in my items guitar. that actually have batteries. <laughs>
was the first night of the first tour with T. We didn't even have a show. We were in the parking lot of a hotel. I don't know whether it was to break the ice or what. Just came out with this little story. <laughs> and none of us knew what the hell to do. We just kept interjecting and laughing. And he talked about, I think it was in Greenville, going to a local nursing home by, or not sure what the connection was. A woman on the porch there called over to him thought he was good looking, they got to talking, and it turned out that he went to bed with her very quickly. In the nursing that. home? Probably, I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. Or nearby? He, he got specific about certain things, but not about that. Um, <laughs> probably nearby. Um, <laughs> and he, he talked about, she was 90 year old, and, and she had a bald pussy, and it was dry. Dry, and, and he used various different things to describe it. Dry as a cigarette ash, dry as a cigar ash, dry as a powder keg. She didn't well, that's have an no old one. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hear that much. No, you don't. No, that's in the 20s. <laughs> and, and, and he goes, you ain't got no hair grease? Get yourself some hair grease. And, and, and described working it in. To this dry pussy with and hair grease? No. <laughs> See, that's the he problem. It didn't have grease. any hair grease. Oh jeez. If it had had hair grease, it wouldn't have been quite such a good you know story. What's funny is he. Uh, <laughs> when I met up with you guys about three days later, the first story he told me was the same story. <laughs> oh yeah. Proud of that one. It worked so well the first the time. time. Do it again. Do it again. Right. Just like it said. He talked about that and just trying to work it, and and he would. Do her vocalizations? Ow! Ow! And and and, and T model. I, I don't know. It, it was that was quite a an introduction to T model.